Hello and welcome back. This is Father John Arnold and this is Oral Valley Catholic, a voice crying in the wilderness from the northwest side of Oral Valley, Arizona. You know, uh, the readings for the 13th Sunday of Ordinary Time revolve around baptism and the cross. Why? Because it goes back to the basic human dilemma that's portrayed in those first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. What's the dilemma? Belief or unbelief and the uncertainty that runs through all of it. Can we be preserved in the chaos of this world or will the waters of chaos overwhelm us and destroy us? So Benedict XVI, when he was just merely Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote probably his best book, Introduction to Christianity, and here's what he says about belief and unbelief. Just as the believer is choked by the salt water of doubt constantly washed into his mouth by the ocean of uncertainty, so the non-believer is troubled by doubts about his unbelief, about the real totality of the world he has made up his mind to explain as a self-contained whole. He can never be absolutely certain of the autonomy of what he has seen and interpreted as a whole. He remains threatened by the question of whether belief is not, after all, the reality it claims to be. Just as the believer knows himself to be constantly threatened by unbelief, which he must experience as continual temptation, so for the unbeliever, faith remains a temptation and a threat to his apparently permanently closed world. In short, there is no escape from the dilemma of being a man. Anyone who makes up his mind to evade the uncertainty of belief will have to experience the uncertainty of unbelief, which can never, in the end, finally eliminate for certain the possibility that belief may, after all, be the truth. Baptism and the Cross the waters of chaos. What do you do? Believe or unbelieve? Let's turn to an understanding of the book of Genesis. So if you can, follow my logic here. The 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, I'm going to talk about the first reading from 2 Kings and then I'm going to talk about chapter 10 of the Gospel of Matthew. Then, as an exciting interpolation, I want to talk about the waters of chaos in the story of Noah and ask what it has to teach us about baptism. Because when we conclude, I want to talk about St. Paul and baptism and what it means when you come to the waters of baptism. So, let's start. Second Kings is the story of Elisha. Remember, Elijah leaves Elisha, the second big-time prophet in the Second Kings, um, to uh, carry on his work. And he's uh, amongst the Shunammites. And there's a woman of influence who always takes care of him when he shows up. She makes him a little apartment up on top of, the, of her house where he can stay. He, she feeds him. And he's just grateful that she takes care of him. So he asked his, his servant, is there anything I can do for this woman? She seems to have everything. She's a woman of influence and wealth. And his servant says, well, she and her husband are getting old and they have no son. And so here's what the man of God, Elisha, says. Elisha said, call her. 
And when the woman had been called and stood at the door, Alicia promised, this time next year, you'll be fondling a baby son. And then, of course, it comes to pass. It's this understanding of the man of God and the reward that comes to listening to the word of God, especially spoken through the mouths of the prophets and the faithful, um, that will bring its reward. And the reward is life, a child. And a child is always about hope for the future, uh, that it doesn't end now. Um, we still have this uh, promise of, of hope in the future. So Matthew, here's what the gospel says. Jesus said to his apostles, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so let me just interpret that for you. Um, remember the, the first three commandments in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, love God. Uh, don't use his name in vain. Keep holy the Sabbath. The first three commandments are all about love of God. Then when he says, if you don't do that more than father or mother, if you don't love me more than father or mother, well, remember the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. He is claiming those three commandments as owed to him. So he claims only what God can claim and then he talks about the cross, which is this un injustice, the suffering of the world. It doesn't get any worse than being crucified naked in front of everybody, including your mom. But if you're not willing to take on the forces of death, read in it just chaos, the absolute injustice and suffering of the world. If you can't face down reality with hope in God, then you're not worthy of the promises of God. And so he concludes in the first part of the gospel reading, um, you have to be able to lose your life in order to find it. Death is the door to eternal life. And there, nobody can save you. Angels can't save you. Saints can't save you. The doctor can't save you. Only God can save you. So store your treasure um, where it's safe. And then he, can, then he goes on. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So his disciples receive, uh, the people that receive the disciples, just like that Shunammite woman received Elisha in the first reading, um, receives the one who sent me, which ultimately is God the Father, the Creator. It's God's creative outreach to the world, drawing back a creation to himself. Whoever receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. We read about that in the first reading. A hope for the future. And whoever receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. How it is that you live in right order to God. So prophets and, and righteous living. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink, because the little one is a disciple, amen, I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. And so the decision that Jesus forces people to make isn't just belief in God, but it's the people he sends, the disciples, read the church. And so the church becomes um, how it is that we respond to Christ and the one who sent Christ, the Father. And so think about those readings. 
um, the prophet's reward. It's about hope for the future. In the case of this woman, it's a son. For Jesus, he expects to receive those that kind of honor that comes from keeping the first three commandments of the Decalogue, even up to and including death. And that's why martyrs are so important in our faith. And uh, just to remind each of us that um, the more we cling to life, the more we cling to what we have in this world, the more suffering and despair will invade our souls. And so that issue of belief and unbelief how you deal with suffering and think about everything else in this world is rooted not simply in a time and place after death. It's how you uh, deal with suffering and chaos and sin and temptation now. And so how do we do that? Well, participating in the church because uh, he sends out prophets. Uh, we just celebrated the feast of St. Peter and St. Paul. It was on Thursday last. Uh, and you know, the church is always in rocky waters or uh, tumultuous, chaotic waters. That's why the church is often pro, uh, portrayed as this, as this ark. The, the nave of a church, right, comes from navis, the word for, for I think, ship. Um, and because when you come into St. Mark's or any other Catholic church, you're entering into Peter's ark. And, uh, and so we take care of our own, and that's why when we support the work of the church, that you give a, a prophet a cup of water, one of the little ones, a disciple, a cup of water, you make the ministry possible, you're participating in the life of the church, even if you don't pursue a vocation as a priest or a religious sister. Um, you participate because you support it, you support vocations to the church and the work of the Spirit in the church. And so what does this have to do uh, with Noah and the story of uh, the flood and ultimately baptism. Let's turn there now and let's bring all this back into the book of Genesis where it is rightly rooted. The cross and death and suffering, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or not an atheist, a believer. Uh, everybody has to deal with suffering and death in life. Even if you decide you're going to take yourself out, everybody has got to deal with the reality of life. So who presents the best understanding of how it is that you deal with human reality? Because your decision to believe or unbelieve, uh, not believe, is really going to depend on that. You know, the biggest objection of atheists, it seems to me, uh, is the problem of suffering. If God is all-knowing, God is all-wise, and God is all-powerful, then he'd know there was suffering and he'd do something about it. Uh, if he was all-wise and all-loving, he'd want to do something about it. And if he was all-powerful, he could do something about it. Um, but, you know, the problem with that equation is that is merely rationality, uh, and there is no faith in it. You can be an unbeliever or a believer and understand the logic of that philosophical syllogism. Um, but the only real answer to suffering is in the cross and in faith uh, and to embrace Christ. And so it has to go to faith to understand the point and the purpose of suffering and what it is that the cross of Christ brings into the world and how we participate 
in that through baptism. Lots of stories about it in the Old Testament that set us up for this understanding. But let's turn to Noah. So what's the story of Noah teach us today? Um, St. Augustine said that one does not read in the Gospels that the Lord said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will teach you about the course of the sun and the moon. Um, for he willed to make us Christians, not astronomers, according to St. Augustine. And so Augustine understood that Christian faith, uh, completed understanding where rationality falls short. That's why we say faith takes us beyond reason. It doesn't uh, subvert reason. It doesn't twist reason, uh, but it fulfills it. And so that the story of Noah is not intended to make us historians of ancient rainfall patterns, just like the story of the seven days of creation uh, is supposed to be, you know, about cell phones or modern understandings of science. It's about God in the world. And so that when we turn to Noah, uh, we have to start with uh, what the problem is. And so I think it's chapter 10, and uh, God starts according to the story in Genesis um, to just despair of the world. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, the story starts. And so we think of the war in Ukraine, uh, blowing up people, having pizza in a restaurant, uh, children kidnapped, and you just keep going back. Nazi concentration camps, the Russian gulag, for heaven's sakes, the Soviet gulag. You can go back to the Thirty Years' War. Um, suffering in war, suffering in death and disease, suffering from losing a child is simply part of the world. The problem is when human beings pile on and make it worse than it has to be. That's why in the story, God doesn't try to explain why people get cancer. What he focuses on is why human beings want to participate in wickedness, why they want to make suffering worse than it has to be. So the story continues. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. Uh, because in the story of Noah, uh, human wickedness is out of control. Um, so in those first 11 chapters, God goes from delighting his creation to grieving his creation. And so here's something to think about. In how that ancient story portrays God, does God really change? I mean, is God capable of change? Think about it like this. Um, a really hot day, um, the sun shining down on, on us. Um, it feels good if you're, it's 4th of July weekend and maybe you're hanging out by the pool and you're catching some rays and the kids are playing and you're having a nice seven up. It feels awful if your car breaks down in the desert and you have to walk uh, five miles to try to find some gas and get some help. Um, it's the same sun. Uh, what changes is our situation enduring that sun. So we project change onto God, but God is just God and is always God. Uh, we're the ones that change. And so um, God's love is uh, perceived as punishment when other parts of the scripture would say is um, suffering from our own wickedness 
is just a way to call us back to how it is that we listen to and think about how we should live in good times and in bad. But as the story of Noah continues, not everyone viewed God as an enemy. So Noah, it says, was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it's Christ's Sermon on the Mount, right, which is the Gospel of Matthew, which is the gospel we're in in year A of our liturgical year. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the clean of heart, uh, for they will see God. I guess blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. But poverty in spirit, cleanness of heart, humility, this is what it means to walk with God. He's not playing games. He tells us, Jesus tells us in a Sermon on the Mount, and so uh, to be merciful or a peacemaker in the midst of good times and in bad, that I think is why marriage is a sacrament, a sign of God's love, because what you promised to your spouse, right? In sickness or in health, richer for poor, good, uh, good times or bad times, um, until death do us part. And so it is with faith. It's the experience of how it is that you are faithful to God in good times or in bad. Um, and so Noah is like that. But whether we are like Noah or like his corrupt contemporaries, here's one of the problems. And think about God doesn't change. But bad stuff happens. It's not the wickedness of human beings, but floods happen. There's just chaos in life. Because at the heart of natural life, whether you're a good person or a wicked person, you have to deal with death. You have to deal with setbacks. You have to deal with cancer. These are not God piling on. It's not um, human wickedness. It's simply the way that the world is created. Um, could he, God make it a different way? Uh, it wouldn't be the same reality. And so um, lots of, it seems to me, atheists want to second guess God, but they don't want to really live in the world that God would make where everybody has to be good, right? And nothing bad ever happens. They don't seem to want that world, but they use it as a charge against God because they don't see any value in suffering. And so now think about Noah and the flood because we're gonna talk about the waters of baptism. The downpour of diseases, disasters, floods, all of this stuff uh, is gonna affect everybody. And so when you encounter it, the one thing that you always, I think, have to be um, mindful of is in good times and in bad, sickness and in health. Floods come into our lives and then the water receives. Agony comes into our lives and the water receives. Sometimes we think that every time something good happens to us, the good times will always roll and then they recede. And when the bad things happen to us, we can despair because we think They'll always roll, but no, the flood always recedes. And what's left? Well, Noah and his family. How do they live? Well, Noah continues as a righteous man or tries to, his sons not so much, because the problem of human sin can't be wiped out by God. It runs to the middle of every human heart. You know, the waters of the flood, do you remember that on the uh, third day, I think, of creation, uh, it says this in Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate one body of water from the other. God made the dome and it separated the water below the dome from the water above the dome. And so it happened. So the whole idea of the flood is the chaos 
that precedes God making this place for human beings to live. The absolute big ones eat the little ones, just the world of nature. Uh, it comes just collapsing in on the people in Noah's time. Uh, the inner chaos spills down on them. And what does it do? It brings out the beast in each one of them. And I think I'm not being complimentary of beasts. I'm being unfair to them because human beings can be worse than any beast. And so what's at the heart of it? The heart of it is our sense of alienation from God, from each other, and our own split personalities um, where we want to be God. So according to Genesis, the rains don't last forever. Bad times don't last forever. But the corruption that it invites in each human heart, well, that is a problem. So how's the story of Noah end? God says to Noah, go forth from the ark and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you. And by obeying this and going forth and walking in the way of the Lord, now we meet Christ. What's Jesus telling us to do? It's more than just being good. It is being good, trusting that in good times or in bad, we are orienting our life to union with God the Father and his intention for human beings. Otherwise, it's all this game we play where we say, hey, I was good, why did God punish me? Hey, uh, I know it was bad, why did God give me good things? Well, God is good. Uh, floods come, floods go. Gifts come, gifts go. The human heart. That's at the heart of baptism. So let's talk about that now. So whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you have to deal with the floods in life. You have to deal with suffering. And so that's why St. Paul says that did you not know that you are baptized into the suffering of Christ? You're baptized into his death. Here's what the reading from St. Paul is. Brothers and sisters, are you unaware that we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is Romans chapter 6. We were indeed buried with him through baptism and death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. If then we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has power over him. As to his death, he died to sin once for all. So, his life, so as to his life, he lives for God. Consequently, you too must think of yourselves as dead to sin and living for God in Christ Jesus. You ever thought that when you were baptized or your babies are baptized, you're entering into the chaos of death? It's the waters crashing in over you. That's why they would do full immersion baptisms, although I think it's unwise to immerse, in, immerge, immerse infants. And so we sprinkle with water, which the church permits and is always permitted. But when we prepare people for baptism, uh, we prepare them to listen to the blessing over the baptismal water. I'm gonna read that to you now. Father, you give us grace through sacramental signs which tell us of the wonders of your unseen power. In baptism, we use your gift of water which you have made a rich symbol of the grace you give us in this sacrament. At the very dawn of creation, your spirit breathed on the waters, making them the wellspring of all holiness. The waters of the great flood, you made a sign of the waters of baptism that make an end of sin and a new beginning of goodness. 
through the waters of the Red Sea, you led Israel out of slavery to be an image of God's holy people set free from sin by baptism. In the waters of the Jordan, your son was baptized by John and anointed with the Spirit. Your son willed that water and blood should flow from his side as he hung upon the cross. And after his resurrection, he told his disciples, go out and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's at the end of Matthew. Father, look now with love upon your church and unseal for her the fountain of baptism. By the power of the Holy Spirit, give to the water the grace of your Son, so that in the sacrament of baptism, all those whom you have created in your likeness may be cleansed from sin and rise to new birth of innocence by water and the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Father, with your Son, to send the Holy Spirit upon the waters of this font. May all who are buried with Christ in the death of baptism rise also with him to the newness of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so St. Paul and baptism into the death of Christ. Because the flood, Noah's flood, is um, death. It kills how many people? But it also saves because suffering and death is a two-edged sword. It's like God is this son. And when you're by the pool, it's wonderful and you're enjoying the kids. When you're out in the desert without water, it's horrible and it's punishment. Same God, different context for human beings. That's why baptism is so important. And think about it in the great story of the resurrection and how the how baptism participates in the resurrection. Remember that in all four gospels, it's a woman that comes to the empty tomb. Uh, Mary Magdalene is, uh, is identified in the Gospel of John especially as being there um, and uh, portrayed as being there alone. And it's, she is, you don't know, is she young and has just been a prostitute? Is she old and her life's behind her? She doesn't have a husband or children? Um, it's like the Shunammite woman. You really don't know, except she doesn't seem to have much hope except in him. And when she loses him, she seems to lose the one little tether that she has to God. And what's interesting about the story is that by the empty tomb where she weeps, do you remember the angels come and talk to her? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Did that comfort her? It did not comfort her. Uh, mostly when angels appear in the Old Testament or uh, in like Gabriel in the New Testament to Mary and, um, and to St. Joseph and to... Uh, and to Zechariah, uh, it changes people's lives. But there is a part of our lives that is so deep in grief and suffering and loss, even the angels can't reach us. And so how is she reached? Um, the gardener is there, and it's when he says her name. You see, what it seems to me is that the unbeliever disconnects from the reality of the personal, when you focus only on yourself as this self-creating uh, being that is like a god, because most of you, of course, go to the gym all the time and have six-pack abs, right? Fabulously successful in whatever you put your hand to. You can sing like, uh, you know, pick your favorite singer. You should all be starting in the NFL. All these images held up to us what it means to be a successful human being mostly absolutely unattainable for any of us. That isn't the image of the gospel to this poor woman who would be an outcast even now 
once she loses her looks, she's just not use. She's not no use to anybody, and she's alone. She has nothing. Wow, that's chaos, friends. And the God, who is a person, reaches down through the waters, touches her, and calls her by name. That's why, friends, in the waters of baptism, the priest will ask, what name do you give to your child? And you will, like Adam, name uh, creation. And that's the name that child is known by, by God and the church. And then the next question is, and it's not a trick question, what do you ask of God and the church? And the answer is not pizza, because you will not get that at a baptism. The answer is baptism, because to ask for God to use the very forces of chaos, the symbol of the domes of the waters crashing back in the world and reclaiming this place that was made for us, to be able to take your child, baptize him into that chaos, and they rise with Christ, because death no longer has any power over them. So there you have it. What are you going to believe? It seems to me there is, like Blaise Pascal said, uh, no upside to being an atheist. It's all downside. And so if you die and there's nothing, who do you tell? You were right, so what? Who cares? But baptism, the life of Christ, there's always going to be uncertainty. You know, maybe we're wrong. I don't think we're wrong. I believe we're right, and I bet my life on it. I know you have too. And so you can say about belief, right? But always the nagging uncertainty about other ways of life that may have made you happier. Friends, they're not for you. So honor the prophets. Honor righteous men. Support the work of Christ and the church, carrying the gospel out into the world. And in some very important way, you are holding back the floodwaters from engulfing the world. God bless you. And I hope you have a great 4th of July. This has been Oro Valley Catholic, a voice crying in the wilderness of Northwest Oro Valley. See you next week.